Welcome to another edition of Health Affairs This Week, the podcast where health affairs editors and guests talk about the health policy news of the week. I'm Chris Fleming. Today, we're focusing on a key Supreme Court case that came down last week, Health and Hospital Corporation of Marion County v. Teleski. The case focused on access to the courts for Medicaid enrollees who claimed they were harmed by illegal state action. To discuss this case and other matters Medicaid, uh, we're very pleased and very lucky to be joined by one of the nation's leading experts on Medicaid, Sarah Rosenbaum. Sarah is the Harold and Jane Hurst Professor of Law and Health Policy and the founding chair of the Department of Health Policy at the Milken Institute School of Public Health at George Washington University. And Sarah has devoted her career to issues of health justice for medically underserved and marginalized populations. She's well known for her work on Medicaid, national health reform, and other issues. She, Tim Jost, and others wrote two forefront articles on Tulefsky, uh, one last year previewing the case, and then one this past week uh, analyzing the decision. We'll put links on, to those articles in the show notes, and I would encourage listeners to read them as they delve into the issues we'll discuss today in much more detail. Sarah, welcome. Thank you. It's such so always so great to be with you. And uh, I, I'm sure I speak for everybody when I say that Health Affairs is the indispensable journal in all of its manifestations. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for the, the kind words. Um, so I mentioned uh, the, the decision that came down last week in, in Tulefsky. Uh, this was a case, as you know, uh, involving a lawsuit that was brought by the family of Gorgi Tulefsky against a nursing home that was owned by Marion County in Indiana. The family alleged that the nursing home violated Mr. Tulefsky's rights by chemically uh, restraining him and repeatedly attempting to forcibly transfer him to other institutions. Can you expand on those sort of basic facts and uh, give us a sense of what was at stake uh, from a legal point of view in this case? So the case arose, as you pointed out, as the result of very serious nursing home abuse. That was what the allegations were. Um, And in the Medicaid statute, so as part of the federal statute itself, is um, uh, a special nursing home reform law that was added to Medicaid in the late 1980s. It's known as the Federal Nursing Home Reform Act, or FINRA. And FINRA imposes a whole series of duties on states to ensure the quality and appropriateness of the treatment of nursing home residents, but also um, contains language that literally is called rights. And in that language, um, it states explicitly that residents have a right to be free from um, inappropriate restraints, um, and they have a right to be protected from inappropriate transfers that cannot be justified and are done arbitrarily. So what was involved here was not just sort of the state's not doing its job, but it rose to the level of, as the family claimed, a violation of his federal rights under FINRA. The family sought relief from the state. Uh, Over and over again, they tried to get um, uh, the county and the state to respond, and all efforts failed. And so finally, they did what has not happened very often, but it has happened before. They filed a lawsuit in federal court 
they used a special law, which has been sort of intertwined with Medicaid, uh, known as 1983. Uh, and 1983 can be thought of as sort of the ticket that lets you in the doors of a courthouse. Because not you, just because you're unhappy doesn't necessarily mean you can go to court. But 1983 is the way that people who believe their federal rights have been violated under Medicaid can go to the federal courts and get the courts actually to intervene. And of course, the power of the courts is far, far greater than the power of agencies. So that's how the case got into federal court. And they won. They, they lost in the trial court. Um, but on appeal, the appeals court did exactly what um, other appeals courts have done. It looked at the statute and said, well, FINRA is a series of rights. And 1983 is a special post-Civil War Act uh, uh, that says that if your federal rights have been violated, you can sue state officials acting under color of law for violating those rights. Um, and they said, you know, the case can go forward. That's fine. And there's no other remedy. The state is doing nothing. And, and the state doesn't even have the kind of powers that a court has. And you can sue and you can sue for damages, which is what they did. The county immediately appealed to the Supreme Court. County officials are considered state officials for purposes of 1983. On appeal, they made two allegations. One was, or two claims. One was that, in fact, the law in question, FINRA, created no rights. And it was a special, even if the law did create some rights, um, in fact, there's a whole separate process built into FINRA uh, that that precludes people from going to court. Instead, your only recourse is to state is to the state to um, uh, remedy the problem. But even more fundamentally, they claimed that in fact, laws like Medicaid, so laws created for public welfare purposes that give grants to states to aid very vulnerable populations. Even when those laws create rights, they are not the kind of rights that 1983 covers. So you may have rights in Medicaid, but they are not 1983 rights. Um, they are simply what the state argued is third-party beneficiary rights um, meaning that, that Medicaid beneficiaries have no direct rights to enforce under 1983. The, the relationship, according to the state, was between the state and the federal government, and only the federal government could intervene. The beneficiaries essentially were off to the side. Um, and the state claimed that that whole theory uh, was part of what we call common law doctrine that was in place at the time that 1983 was written back in the 1870s. It's sort of an unspoken gloss on top of 1983. It was um, amazing to many people, including myself, that the court took the case uh, because it was so consistent with what other circuits had done and it was consistent with the court's own prior rulings. But this is not a claim that surprised anybody. This has been lurking out there for decades. Just to unpack a little bit, can you very briefly explain, you mentioned uh, that courts are more powerful in these instances than, than agencies. What's the 
you know, one of the arguments was, well, the feds can always come in and uh, take oversight and enforcement actions against a state that's acting illegally. Why is that not sufficient in a case like this? First of all, a court can do two things that no agency and no, and certainly HHS cannot do. Number one, a court can issue an injunction. An injunction is an unbelievably powerful tool. It basically tells the defendant either to stop doing something illegal that it's doing or to start making changes that it's legally bound to make. The other thing a court can do, of course, is award damages, uh, which happens when somebody's rights have been violated and the person suffers injury because 1983 is analogous to what we know as the law of torts. And when you have a personal injury and uh, and the defendant is found liable, you can get damages for all kinds of torts. Now, HHS has important tools. HHS can tell a state to stop doing a bad thing. HHS can uh, enter into a corrective action plan with the state. Um, HHS, just by the virtue of its oversight, can put some pressure on a state to stop doing what it's doing. But in the end, HHS really cannot enjoin any action. And even if HHS decides that it's going to invoke the ultimate uh, punishment, which is to withhold funding uh, until the state changes uh, its practices, states have very, very elaborate due process rights under the Social Security Act. And those rights uh, play out before a withhold can can be imposed uh, or a clawback can be imposed. And so there's really no way for HHS, even if it had the personnel to do it, uh, it, it just does not have the power of the courts. The courts are unique creatures in American law. So Sarah, um, you mentioned that people maybe were surprised that the court took it be- this case because there were there wasn't really a conflict in the appellate courts. Uh, many people maybe thought that the court might use uh, this case to restrict the rights of uh, Medicaid beneficiaries to sue using Section 1983. How did the court ultimately rule? The court stuck by its precedents. We have 50 plus years of precedent holding that 1983 is available to enforce Medicaid rights, just as it is for all uh, rights. It's something that we detail uh, in the blogs. Uh, going, going back to 1968, they said, no, these are rights. They are enforceable rights. And your notion that somehow beneficiaries are third party beneficiaries with no rights of their own is wrong. And furthermore, and this is where um, uh, we were all, I think, collectively quite amazed, the court went on to completely dismiss all their theories they had been using over decades now to sort of assemble this third-party beneficiary contract theory. And the court said, we are perplexed by this because 1983 is a tort law. And tort, the law of torts is very, very different from the law of contracts. And so you're in here with all these third-party contract beneficiary theories that have no place in 1983. And so the Talevskis won. It's important to note, though, that this case is limited by its facts. In other words, Medicaid is a very, very huge, very complicated law. It's got general language that's instructions to states. It's got rights-creating language, and each right 
is separately analyzed by the court. Uh, so just because the Tlevskys won here doesn't mean that every case that goes to the Supreme Court in the future is going to be a winner. Thanks, Sarah. We're, we're getting close to uh, the end of our time for today. Uh, and I do want to mention to readers that uh, Sarah also has a piece on the Medicaid uh, managed care rule, the proposed rule uh, that you can read on Forefront as well. Uh, before we end, I really want to give you a chance. I mean, you're uh, you talked about the history of that led up to this case. You've been a huge part of that history. Uh, you know, you've been working in this field and on these issues for a long time and have been a seminal figure. Can you talk a little bit about sort of how your own career unfolded and sort of how uh, you were intertwined with these issues we've been talking about today? It's a great question, and 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 I and someday I promised myself that um, a few of us would get together to do oral history. I would say that it is fair to say that I and a few other people, Tim Jost, Andy Schneider, uh, Jane Perkins, there are a number of us who essentially grew up with Medicaid. We our careers, you know, coincided with the rise of Medicaid. And the very, very first cases to test the relationship between Medicaid and 1983. And so we lived through um, the early litigation. We lived through successive efforts by some members of Congress to try and separate Medicaid from 1983. Efforts, of course, as many listeners will be familiar with, um, uh, to literally strip Medicaid of its enforceable rights to kind of end the whole you know, 1983 issue. And all through this, the other theme has been this repeated effort by challengers to come up with judicial ways of getting at the Medicaid 1983 relationship. So when this case arose, there were a number of people who were ready for it. We know it, we know the issues. And of course, Medicaid also has become such a powerhouse. And, you know, when I started, there were about 20 million people in Medicaid, uh, if that. And today it's the biggest public insurer we've got. And so the interest in preserving Medicaid and the guarantees it contains are like nothing any of us could have imagined 50 years ago. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Um, we really appreciate uh, your time today and, and all of the work you've put in uh, on, on the issue of Medicaid and other issues. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, and with that, uh, we'll have to call it a day. Maybe we'll get a chance to bring Sarah back and talk about the, the great unwinding that Medicaid's been going through. But uh, for today, uh, as always, thank you to our listeners. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you next week. <laughs>